Hey, Upper Feasters, hope you're having a great day so far. This week I talk with Anne Reese of Black Radish Creamery. We talk all things cheese. I asked her how do big cheese brands make cheese taste the same year round? There's a cheese for everything ranging from inexpensive cheese product all the way up to artisanal. Pitching Black Radish Creamery to the North Market in Columbus, Ohio. I asked her for the easiest cheeses to make at home and some pro tips for making them. How does mozzarella taste so different at different pizza places? She tells me how Ohio compares to big American cheese markets like Vermont, Wisconsin, and California. We get into why does expensive cheese taste so different than inexpensive cheese? And Anne has very strong opinions on charcuterie boards. Could you make, and I know you're like an artisanal small batch cheese creamery, but could you maybe explain how like a a name brand like Kraft, for example, how do they have that consistent cheese flavor year round? So they have technology that can manipulate the milk to probably keep it into the same protein levels, the same flavor profiles. They can manipulate the cultures that they add to the product to say the milk is tasting like bitter today. Then they would add a culture that would counteract it with like a sweeter note or or something like that. So they have the ability in the equipment to test everything right when they get it in. So it tells you the notes of everything right there. So small batch, no one has that ability. It's literally like the cheese maker is just feel how they're feeling today and how they think the milk is. And, and, you know, a lot of it is like visual, it's the smell, it's very sensual for an artisan cheesemaker. Whereas the uh, commodity or larger scale, it's more like a machine telling you, this is what's happening. This is how we need to have this product. And that's the, the two differences. So that's why sometimes artisanal cheeses aren't, it's, it may be the same name, but it tastes a little different because something was just different that day, you know, in the grass or whatever they were eating, whatever it was, but yeah. <laughs> but there's always a place for, for all cheeses. I'm not, I'm not one to, to say that there's a, there's a bad cheese out there, so. No, I'm with you. And I feel like I'm the kind of person where I could eat like a super artisanal cheese, like the Epois, like I mentioned earlier, or I'll literally eat like the, the Fritos cheese that you get at the grocery store. Like it's not cheese, it's like cheese product. But it's like, it, you know, yeah. after a couple of beers or something, you want to dip a chip in that cheese, nothing <laughs> wrong with that. <laughs> right. There's a cheese for everything. Funny because sometimes we'll get people who are um, so diehard about certain cheeses and they have so opinions, but then uh, the it's more, what I figured is more of a nostalgia thing sometimes rather than the actual cheese, because I will bring, like someone will come to the shop and be like, can I, I had this cheese in Europe. It was so amazing. And it was like, Blah, 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 blah. I'm like, okay, I can get that for you. So I'll bring it in and they'll, they'll be like, it was so good, but it wasn't like it was in Europe. I'm like, well, it's not <laughs> Europe. And that whole atmosphere and the whole feeling is not, it's, it's in your memory. It's not like you're living it every time you eat it. So it's hard to replicate that feeling, but yeah, no, I understand. It's like that cheese. And sometimes people are like, I just want the simplest cheese. And that's why we carry cheeses from the very basic but good cheeses to the most complicated cheeses in the world so we can appeal to everyone essentially and And then we can also utilize that to work our way to uh, them to be more adventurous of course and I think that's why you you're incredibly popular like today I googled best Columbus cheese shop you were number one on Yelp you were number one on Google like that's got to feel good right (laughs) wow I didn't (laughs) even know that but yeah I mean, yeah, that's great. (laughs) Considering like our whole cheese shop thing was just kind of, um, 
you know, we started all this, it wasn't, cheese shop wasn't in the books. So that's kind of awesome to know that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you folks are crushing it. And when you finally pitched yourself to North Market, were they instantly on board or was it kind of challenging to get your, your place accepted? The way the North Market happened was really interesting. So we were probably year four or five in, still trying to get our cheese figured out. We were the creamery was being built. We were doing everything from scratch. We were still making the jam out of our house. And it had come to a point where we were just like, a, our house was about to explode full of commercial products. It was like, we didn't, we lived in a corner, but the rest of it was like <laughs> this commercial kitchen. It was, it was stupid. <laughs> so when the North market happened, we, we just barely broke ground on our, we were about six months in breaking ground on the creamery so it was under construction didn't have cheese yet and someone had told us that the north market had an opportunity for a cheese monger um like the gentleman that was there was looking to retire so we were like hmm we don't have cheese yet but he was there for so long and he had such a following and it, and he is such a nice guy that we were like if we should just try it you know it's not necessarily something that we wanted like we would plan from the beginning like we want to own a cheese shop but we were, John and I both are always like, if, let's just try it. And if it doesn't work, we tried. We can say we tried. I'd, we'd rather say we tried rather than we wish we would have done this. So we talked to the North Market and they were like, sure, put a proposal in. You have two weeks. And we're like, two weeks? We didn't even, wow. like, we have two weeks to figure out our five-year plan for a cheese shop. We just figured we'd try for like a week ago. So it was an, an intense two weeks. I don't think we slept the entire time. We had to find an architect. We had to find everything you can imagine. In the end, it all worked out. And uh, yeah, we were just like, we got the call. They were like, you got it. We were just like, what did we just do? <laughs> but it was awesome. It was so great. It's still great. We still love it. And it's such a great way to extend our presence beyond the farmer's market. Yeah, I, I'm a North Market super fan. So I can only imagine how good that must have felt to finally open up your shop and then not only open it up, but to like thrive and just really succeed. I, that's got to be so great. Hey, just wanted to say thank you so much for listening so far. If you're liking it, please subscribe, tell a friend. If you're loving it, please give us a five-star review. Is there an easiest cheese to make at home? And if so, what is it? And what are the tips to make it well? So I would say if you're going to make cheese at home, the there are a ton of kits out there that there's a new england cheese making company they do a really nice cheese kit that you could start with they literally walk you through every single step um i would probably start there if it was me doing it because i like to have a recipe in front of me and that way i can change things that i don't that i think didn't work out or i want to change later so definitely start with a kit but if you're going to make, if you're beyond kit level, I guess, then what I would do is I would, there's a few books out there that are basically they're for basic beginning cheese making. And they are really awesome that John started doing that at our house. So he was making what he calls basement cheese. Yeah. We didn't sell it. No one, we did not <laughs> sell it, but um, he converted our, uh, an old refrigerator we had in our basement into the a cheese cave. And so for her, so the temperature, the humidity, everything was manipulated in this refrigerator that he would just test out recipes and batches and methods just so he could get familiar with the milk and how it works with things and how the cultures interact with things. And it was essentially just like a test lab, but 
if it's someone who's really looking to do something at home for something that's more edible and fresh mozzarella is easy creme fraiche you know pork that kind of stuff is like fresh cheeses are fairly simple um and there's a couple ways to do them so I would research the fresh cheeses first. Those tend to be the easier. If you want to go into the like the aged stuff, then you probably need to like manipulate something in your refrigerator to mimic a cave or manipulate a whole refrigerator like he did in our basement. So yeah, there is there's great resources for at-home cheese making for sure. Awesome. And then say if you're too lazy to do all that, do you what do you suggest yeah. like if a newcomer cheese? customer comes to your shop, like, and they say, I only like American cheese. I've had no experience. My palate is not refined. What, what would you say like an easy, easy cheese is for like taste wise? Easy cheese. So first I asked them about texture because some people are very sensitive to texture. So if they're like, I like an aged hard cheese, or I like that real creamy triple cream, then I base my answer off of that. So really it's, it's me just asking them a bunch of questions. It's me, like me finding out of all the cheeses in the case, me, every answer they give me eliminates some. So basically I work my way down to where I can narrow it down to at least five cheeses that I think that they would like. But mainly it's from, basically I ask them texture and then I ask them flavor. If they like salt, if they like crunch, if they like to eat the rinds. Some people are absolutely averse to eating rinds. So if they're not into eating rinds, then definitely I'm gonna start off with something really easy, like a mild cheddar or even cheddar curds. Cheddar curds are, they feel adventurous, even though they're not like real elaborate, but they are a great way for people of the basic who are just like, I just want to go beyond my comfort zone just a little bit. Even just a cheddar curd will get you to that next step. Awesome. And now is cheddar curds, is that what they deep fry at? Like Culver's, for example, is that what those little cheese curds are? Is that what you're talking about? But just not fried. Yeah, obviously. yeah. Whoa. Right. Cool. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, what? but you don't have to fry them. You can eat them fresh. Like we make them every Tuesday and they're so nice when they, when you go in the make room here and John's making cheddar curds, the entire room smells like buttered popcorn. It is so like, I don't even know what that smell is, but it's so delicious. And it's the, the cheddar curds. So when we get them to the shop, at, uh, probably a day or two later, the aroma is not quite as strong, but they're still really delicious. But that whole cheddar curd thing, you can eat them as is, or you can fry them, heat them. We honestly, we put them on pizza. We do everything with the cheddar curds. They're very versatile. Nice. And speaking of pizza, and I know that you don't work at these different pizzerias, but maybe you can shine some light on this. How does mozzarella taste so vastly different at different pizza places? Like, have you ever noticed that it's like, I don't know if it's like the sauce and crust, like manipulate the taste too, but like do you have any thoughts on how mozzarella could taste so, so different? I honestly think it comes down to how much salt is in it. So to me, salt is where it brings out the flavor in the food. So if the mozzarella is undersalted, I, it tends to have like a bland, almost just like it's there just to say there's cheese on it. But if they use a, a more salt, it also draws out the other flavors in the pizza, whether it's from the seasoning or the crust or whatever. But I feel like the salt level is definitely a key point of figuring out good mozzarella. I mean, we've even discovered that here when we stretch our own mozzarella, sometimes uh, we'll go a little light-handed on the salt and then we'll taste it a day or two later and we're just like, oh, we could have used way more salt. So next week, saltier batch, we're like, oh yeah, that's where it's at. It's just trying to figure out that salt content, I think is where mozzarella really 
needs to be, you know, for the pizza, just to draw it all out together. Absolutely. And thank you for that. And so with mozzarella, is it harder to make like, like the bocaccini balls versus the large balls or like, does the size, does that affect how your process, I guess? So we only make, we do them all by hand here. So we make whatever is, whoever's making it, it's whatever size they're feeling that day. <laughs> we know we have customers that like the larger size. And so we always make a few of those, but also there are people who are like, oh, I just want a little bit. It's just for me. So we tend to do a variation of sizes. We don't have a machine that does like specifically two ounce balls or anything like that. So for us, it's, we just make whatever so that when the curd knits together and you break it apart, it kind of naturally has a break point. So when we make curds here, we kind of make it on its natural break point and base the size off that. Gotcha. And then as far as storage goes, because I, I tried to Google this and I, I found like conflicting information. If you were to freeze mozzarella, which I know it's not ideal to freeze it, would you suggest taking it out of the mozzarella water or freezing it with the water in there? Oh, that's a good question. So some of the mozzarella that I can get at the shop actually from Italy is actually frozen. And when I get that in, it is frozen in the brine. So I would have to say that probably the best for longevity would be in the brine, depending on how long you want to freeze it for. Gotcha. But I don't know. I could be wrong. This is, this, that question would be great for John. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Well, I'll, I'll move on to the next one here. And I asked John this also, but he didn't really have a concrete answer, but, and this is a tough one. Do you have a top three favorite cheeses? Oh, top three. Now I know, like I said before, for me, it's all seasonal. So like one cheese I like a lot that I, I can say I've had it all year round and it's most consistent for me that I love is called Out Blossom. It's a cheese from Europe and it's, it's covered in edible flowers, but the paste in the middle, it, it's so nice. It's like florally. It's the center almost tastes like brown butter. But the rind is edible and it's this most, it looks like confetti on the outside. And so you can eat the rind and when you finish it, it's almost like a tea. So it takes your mouth on this like a roller coaster of like savory brown, brown butter to like tea and light. And then you're like, whoa, what just happened? But that cheese for me is definitely in the top, top five, top six, just because it's, it does a nice thing and it's, and it is typically consistency. I know what it, consistent, but I know it is a, um, it, it does have a seasonality to it, like any other cheese. So it just varies. Um, that's definitely one. I'm trying to think of another one, holler hawker for sure. That's like when we get a wheel of holler hawker and at the shop, everyone's just like, holler hawkers. And I mean, it's, it's, it's and the guy who makes it, oh my <laughs> gosh, he's the sweetest guy. So yeah, once you get to know the cheese makers, it's really hard to pick a favorite cheese because it's almost like picking a favorite child or a favorite pet. And it's like, you all bring something to the party. Like, how can I just pick you, you know? I think that's great. And I think you're really passionate about cheese and it's just all cheese is good. Like, I guess maybe a better question would be, are there any cheeses that you don't like? Hmm, that's a really good, you know, no one really asks us that. Is there any cheese you don't like? I would say if there's a cheese I don't like, it would be, um, I don't really know if there is a cheese I don't like. I don't, I can't really say that I've had a cheese and I'm like, absolutely, I would not eat that cheese. The one cheese that in the beginning of opening the cheese shop that would really off put me was Fontina. And it was just because when we would unwrap the wheel to put it in the case, it was just like, uh, so this aroma was so intense. And then to me, it was almost like a cat 
at pee. It was so gross. And it was just yeah. like, oh, this is so intense. This is not, how can anyone eat this? And then right. over time, you know, you just start to like, I'm like, I'm just going to taste it. There has to be a reason why this cheese is so famous and it still exists and people eat it. So I kind of trained myself over time. And also I think, how can I sell a cheese that I don't like? Like, I am honest to people. I will tell them it's not my favorite cheese, but if you utilize it for this purpose, it's great. There are cheeses that are great for like melting, may not necessarily be great for just sitting there and eating a hunk of, but um, it's just, I, I would say the only cheese I've ever had a real adverse effect from would be Pontina. And it's just, and I'm, and now we are, we are smooth. We are good to go. It's just the initial punch in the face was just like, what is this? You know, no, that's totally fair. I mean, that, that sounds like a lot. I've never experienced that myself, but I'm into it. So whenever I think of top cheese places in America, I think of like Vermont or Wisconsin or like San Francisco. Uh, how would you say that Columbus, Ohio and you specifically, how do you compare to those big markets? Well, it's hard to compare to markets that have been there for years and years and years. Uh, Columbus is not necessarily uh, known for its cheese, that's for sure, like Vermont or California is. And also the the cheese that Ohio is known for is more large-scale cheeses. So like Gugusberg and those kind of bigger award-winning, they're awesome cheeses, but the up-and-coming smaller artisan cheeses are um, definitely improved since we've moved back. I mean, the whole reason we moved back to Ohio after living in the Hudson Valley was because we knew that there there was a market here for artisan cheese. When we lived in New York, there was cheesemakers all over. And it was just like, this is insane. This You can just go to the farm. You can go buy the cheese. They make it right there. And here we're like, where, where did we ever experience that growing up? Now, John grew up in Amish country in Holmes County. So he knows... He knows about that, but where I grew up, it was there was nothing like that. I mean, I didn't even know what blue cheese was, and so it was just like the whole cheese world to me was fascinating from the beginning. But as far as Columbus goes, to circle back around, I feel like there's definitely a blank slate here that's got a ton of potential. There is people here that have traveled all over the world, and they're like, "This is." We can't get this cheese anywhere. And so if we can help them bring cheese to Columbus, then we're doing our goal because then they don't have to go to like Vermont or California. They can just come to us and know that we've taken good care of this cheese. It, we've got it from a reputable person. And when they go home, it's like, yeah, okay, this is great. So really it all comes down to the experience that that cheese gives you, I guess. But okay. yeah, I don't know. I really do have high hopes for Ohio and cheese because it's, it's so exciting to almost start from the beginning at an artisanal level with the goal of like seeing where it can go because we look at Vermont, we look at Wisconsin and we look at California almost as like our heroes. So anyone there is just like, oh, cool. That's, that's awesome. Let's, let's see how we can do that here. Yeah. And I think you're doing a great job at it. And I think you have like a really good cheese community because every time I talk to one of your cheesemongers or even just like a regular associate at your stores, like they're just always so kind and friendly and just like willing to help. And John actually taught me a fun fact that when cheese first started, it was like a community thing. Like they would share milk and all that fun stuff. And I guess like, how, how do you make your cheese community thrive? Like, do you ever do like shows or events or like 
get togethers or like cheese tastings or anything like that? Oh yeah. So, well, pre COVID we did, we started a um, cheese class. So we would partner with the barrel and bottle at the North market downtown and they would provide us with either wine or beer and John and would host the classes. Uh, so we would walk through the classes with five different cheeses and maybe sometimes six um, and whatever would go with the wine or beer that whatever was being tasted with. Um, it was each taste was an, about the experience. It wasn't like, oh, this is cheddar. It goes with this. It was way beyond that. It was more like, this is the story of this cheese. This is how it became this. This is the why it has this texture. And this is why it goes along with this old world Pinot Noir type drink. So it was the classes we offer are a little bit more on the educational portion rather than, hey, it's fun. Let's just go and, and hang out and drink some cheese and wine. I mean, we can do that, but we want people to walk away with when they come to, to any cheese case, they have a little bit more knowledge so they don't feel so overwhelmed. And really that's the purpose. But yeah, we do offer those. We haven't done them since COVID, but we plan to return them. We actually have a wait list for them now, which is crazy awesome. because Congrats. so many people are like, I want to come back to your first class whenever you do it. So we're like, okay, we got to do it. So yeah, that's, that's been a great thing. We love doing them too, because I mean, John's a talker. You'll know he, anytime anyone asks him about cheese, it's, <laughs> I almost always set a timer because it's just like, okay, John, you don't <laughs> take up their whole day. <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah. And I think experience and context is so important. Like I know we talked about earlier, like when you were a kid in France or whatever, you had a certain meal or something like I just think it's so funny, like, because whenever I talk to people about food and their best dining experiences and their, their favorite this, that, and the other, context always matters, like, who you're with, how you were feeling, like, literally everything goes into it. I, I just think that's so interesting to me. Yeah. So why does an inexpensive cheese taste so different than an expensive cheese? Like, part of me thinks it might be a placebo effect, but is it only, like, ingredient quality or processes? Like, wh what... What differentiates an inexpensive cheddar versus an expensive cheddar? I would say it has to do with the ingredients for sure. So the milk that was used is definitely a factor for sure. Um, the Just because I, I, I know that because I see the whole circle here from what we do. Like when we go out to, to Louis' farm and we see what the cows are eating, all that, you can see immediately when he puts the, when the grass starts green to turn green in the spring and the cows are eating that fresh spring grass, the milk that comes in here instantly brightens to like this golden hue. And you're like, oh, okay, they're on pasture now. Like you don't, you don't even have to know. But as the season changes, the milk will also change. So whatever is in the pasture will, will factor into the milk quality. So the, the cows that are in barns all day that don't ever get to pasture, they're only fed grain. They have the same diet every day. It's the same thing. Their milk will be more consistent because there's nothing factored into it uh, other than, you know, maybe sunshine. I don't know, but those cheeses will be consistent and they will, the milk is also a little bit cheaper to pr produce because they don't have to have a thousand acres of land to have a hundred cows. You know, it's just, there's a balance between costs and, you know, what people will pay for it too. And also there's a thing where the, the customer, if they're not going to notice the difference, then there is also not really an incentive to make a higher quality cheese. But the more education people get on cheese and why this cheese is more important, it is more expensive, but you're also supporting like a whole family that's been in 
has this farm since like the 1800s versus like a large, large scale where the cows are just shipped in daily, shipped out. And it's just like, there's nothing personal about it. There's no real connection. So I don't know. I feel like it all comes down to education. So some people who have no idea about what goes into it. Yeah. That cheese is going to taste great because it's cheese, you know, like it's hard to find a cheese that isn't great unless it's, unless it's been like in a bad environment. Right. But um, when it comes to the quality of it, I really think you just have to have someone, you have to have someone interested in knowing and asking that question that you just asked. They have to wonder why is this cheese so much more expensive? And those are the people that will definitely be more, I mean, and even after you explain it, they probably will still like, oh, I'm going to stick with my, my cheaper cheese. And that's fine. But at least now they know. Um, but I think sometimes though, you're right though. There might be a placebo effect as well, because it's not like some cheaper cheeses taste bad. They don't, it's just, there's just variables. And like I said, there's something about nostalgia and there's something about memories with people too. Like, so that, that factors into it all the time, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I like to support artisanal stuff when I can, because I had uh, Jenny Brittenbauer of Jenny's Ice Cream on my podcast. And I asked her this, a similar question as to why her ice cream is so expensive. And she basically said that she wants to deal with farmers that she knows that she has a relationship with. She wants to pay them a living wage. And so when I hear stuff like that, it really inspires me. And like, I buy artisanal as much as I can. I mean, my budget, I usually buy the cheaper cheese, but I do like to treat myself and because you are supporting local business. And I think that's really important. Yeah, I agree. So speaking of supporting local businesses, do you have a top three Columbus, Ohio restaurants? One of our regular go-to and not just because they buy our cheese, but they're consistently awesome is Ghost Rider Public House in Johnstown. They are consistently good. The staff is awesome. The owners are sweet. There's just We've, we've gone there a lot and it's, we've never had a bad experience. So to me, it's all about the experience. It's not necessarily about the food. The food can be mediocre, but if you walk away like, oh, that was fun. That's just as good as having great food with okay service. Yeah, of course. And so what type of food are they serving? Is this like an American, like classic American bar food? Like what type of food is this? So I would say it's like elevated American bistro and it's, um, you know, they have the classic cheeseburger but it's not just a cheeseburger. Like the chef will manipulate it to be seasonal in some way, or like he'll make a special sauce, like in-house, everything's made in-house. I love that. So everything about their whole ethos, what they do, the space is beautiful. And to be so bold and put it in such a town where it's not like trendy to put a fancy restaurant in is, uh-huh. is awesome. So kudos to them. I love supporting them. That's they, they do a Awesome job. And any, any, everyone should go out at least once to check them out. I'm sold. I'm going to go there, but I would love to hear you your should, second one. For sure. <laughs> you should. It's so nice. I'm trying to think second one. Now it's not necessarily fine dining, but they have a great breakfast breakfast menu is skillet in German village. I think they are such a good group, such a good family. They, they support local like crazy. And when you go there, you feel like your mom cooked for you. You know, it's like, Absolutely. oh, this is great. It's not necessarily <laughs> diet food, but you walk away feeling like, oh, that was, there was something cool about that. And, and they change their menu often, which I love. I'm all about changing menus with the season. That's more my thing. So I would definitely, it's hard to get in there, but on the weekends, yeah. but it's, it's such a good place. Have you been? 
I have. Yeah, it's really good. 100% recommend that place. Definitely co-sign that. Do you have a Do you have a third third great Columbus spot? We work a lot, so I don't really know. Like we just go. We eat, tend to eat where we drop off cheese, so I don't want to be partial to just where has our cheese. But there is. Um, we do go to the Whitney House. Um, they are nice. They They have a seasonal menu, and it's consistently good. We. It's just a nice, cozy atmosphere when you just want to. You can either go there and like take your family for like a birthday or you can go there and be like let's just go have a drink and just eat a eat an appetizer it's like kind of like one of those places where it's like no matter what you're wearing you kind of feel comfortable going to which I like yeah I I think they're yeah I I like them they're really good so and they don't buy our cheese so I know for sure that I'm not being partial to that (laughs) so yeah, I would say those those three are really good, but honestly, so many restaurants are coming in town right now. I feel like I'm I'm way behind. There's probably a dozen restaurants that are on my list that I'd love to try, but I just haven't got to. So I'm also not the most uh, experienced person to ask. I, I kind of feel like I'm a little behind. <laughs> hey, fair enough. And you know what? I think it's totally acceptable to love the places that support your business. I think there's nothing wrong with that. I'd like to think you'd be objective. And if the place is mediocre, you wouldn't mention it because you don't want to throw them under the bus. But you know, I'm sure you can still be a little, a little objective, but it never hurts to have someone with your product. Yeah. I always like to ask my guests, um, like for unpopular food opinions and do you have any unpopular food opinions yourself? It's, I don't know if it's unpopular. I think it's more popular. It's just un incorrect, I guess I would say. So the term charcuterie board to me is just like, it's thrown so loosely out there. And if you actually look up the definition of charcuterie board, it is, it actually means meat. Like it, it has to involve meat. So when I turn on something, they're like, watch me make this charcuterie board. And it's just like donuts and, and chocolates. And I'm like, where's the meat? Like there's nothing, yeah. there's nothing charcuterie <laughs> about that, but it's just, to me, that's like my number one that, cause when people come up to order our charcuterie board at our cheese shop, I always just assume that they want meat on it, which I understand you don't want meat. That's why we can do this too. We call those cheese boards. Right. <laughs> but um, in the in the general world, charcuterie board just means everything. It's almost like a smorgasbord of things. I don't know. I just feel like it should be a little bit more refined. The definition should be a little bit more refined. <laughs> of course. I'm so glad you said that because I thought I was the only one. Like I thought I was being too particular because my sister loves charcuterie boards, but she loves like meat and cheese ones. But she tagged me on Instagram and it was literally like what you said. It was like donuts, cupcakes, muffins, and it was on like a cute wooden board. And I'm like, it's yeah. not a charcuterie. Give me a break. Like how loose is this definition? <laughs> I know. Oh man. I know. I see that all the time. And, and it's just like, oh goodness. It's, just, it's worth a chuckle. That's for sure. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. So Anne, I feel like I asked you everything I wanted to ask you, but if there's anything that you wanted to talk about that I didn't bring up or even just like a quick elevator pitch for your, your creamery, like anything you'd want to talk about, please do. Let's see. What would I want to say? I would just say our cheese shops, our cheesemongers, everyone under the BRC umbrella is a diehard lover of cheese. And if anyone who's even the slightest bit intimidated of cheese should at least stop by and give us a chat, because even if you're, even if you're not into it or whatever, we can at least help you figure out what's what's going on in the cheese world because honestly we're we're doing this for our customers and we're doing it to make a good product made from stuff that's local it's a way to support our community Uh, even with the jams we do the same thing all of the fruit is from ohio it's not like we're buying bagged fruit that's frozen that we don't know where it's from it's you know where every piece of fruit comes from we know the farmers we know everything about all the ingredients that of everything we make so 
anyone who has a question about any type of that, even if it's sourcing or anything, that's we're happy to help. It's almost like, um, I don't know, just just come talk to us. I guess that's all I really want to say. Come talk to us because we're we love talking cheese, we love talking local, we love talking food in general. So it's just it, that's really all we do. Awesome. And, and, and I can definitely attest to that. Like I, I've mentioned several times throughout this, this little chat here. Uh, yeah, they're, they're amazing. I can definitely echo all that right back at you. And um, yeah, so that was the podcast. Thank you so much for being a guest. I really appreciate it. And I hope you have a great rest of the day. Yeah, you too. Thank you so much. I'll see you hopefully at the cheese shop. <laughs> all right. Have a good day. Ian. Bye-bye. Hey, that was the episode. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Remember to subscribe, tell a friend, share us on social media and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts.